1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 17. The believer and government. Oh, this should be interesting. If you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. This is the word of God. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of 1 Peter is strength and comfort in suffering. Strength and comfort in suffering. Last week, that all may know that we are the people of God, that everyone may know. No Christian, no Christian is ever called to be a secret service Christian, behind the scenes Christian, never seen, never, never using their words or their life to let people know about the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible uses words like these. We are ambassadors of Christ, ambassadors, his representative, 1 Corinthians 5.20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us to the culture that we live in. The Bible also says that we are the light. You are the light of the world. You are, you let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. That's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. You're also the salt of the earth, Matthew 5.13. Well, the Bible also says we are to be witnesses, witnesses. And John the, John the Baptist was a, was a perfect example of a witness. In John chapter 1, verse 6, we read these words. There was a man sent from God. Now, just put your name in here. And it says his name was John, whose name was John. Just put your name in because you were sent from God and put your name in. This man came for a witness, a pointer. A martyrio is the word, where we get our root word martyr from. A martyr, a, a witness to the death. A witness to the death. And what was this witness to do? To bear witness of the light, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, that all through him might believe. He was not the light. John was not the light. But he was sent to bear witness of the light. That is a job that each one of us have as believers, to be a witness to the light. And the other thing the Bible teaches us that we must know as the people of God is that we must confess Jesus before men. Everyone must know that we are believers. Jesus said these words of caution in Matthew 10, 32. Whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. No Christian is called to hide their faith. No Christian is called to blend into the culture or pretend, blender or pretender, that they're Christians. Everyone should know where we stand. Now, the people of God also know this. We learned this last week in verses 4 and 5, that we are precious to God, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and the Holy Spirit dwelling in you gives you the power to do whatever he's called you to do. That's the dunamis power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts 1.8. That is the power to do, the dunamis power. But he also has given you what we have called his karetos power. And that karetos power is the power to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit, to say no to your fleshly urges and say yes to the things of God. The spirit of God dwells in you. That is normal Christianity. That's not super duper Christianity. That is normal Christianity. The spirit of God dwells within us. 
In verses 6 through 8, we learn that we will never be shamed, never be shamed by our God. Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an important word, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 9 and 10, that we are the priests of God, and no one becomes a priest because they raise their hand and say, I want to be a priest. Priests are chosen by God. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're chosen. Every believer is chosen to be a priest. And what does a priest do? Offer sacrifices and intercedes on behalf of others. And we also emphasize that priests have to sacrifice their lives. You give up your lives for other people, for the cause. That's what a priest does. In 11 and 12 last time, we are to live out our faith before the world, and we're to live it out for real. And how do we do that? Well, well, Peter was very specific. Abstain from fleshly lust. Stay away from things that drive you away from Christ. Stay away from the flesh traps. Stay away from your triggers. Satan in the demonic realm knows specifically what your triggers are. Stay away from them. Now, how do we stay away from them? Well, Romans 13, 14 is a great memory verse. It's a great memory verse. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. No provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. We must make a faith choice. Multiple times during the day, you're making a faith choice to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. And God has empowered you to be able to do this. You can't do this on your own. That is why we need a close walk with him in order to live pure and holy lives. And then we know that we are to conduct ourselves in this culture as Christians. And the scripture that we used last time was Philippians 1.27. We are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Our conduct is important. And remember, as aliens and strangers here, we're never going to really fit in to the world system. We're never going to be embraced by the world system. So just to get used to that. Now, we are to conduct ourselves as Christ followers while we're here, aliens and strangers, still conducting ourselves as Christ followers. And that even includes government. That even includes the government authorities. Even when the king is corrupt, we are to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And guess what? The vast majority of kings, prime ministers, presidents, governors, senators, congressmen, are from a, a, a kingdom of darkness because we know most people are not born again of the Spirit. And so they express their values in the leadership positions that they've been put in. Now remember that they are reflecting their king. And who would their king be? It would be Satan. It's from the demonic realm. It's from the dark side. So you need to expect that. Expect that. Now, this week, we're going to be talking about how the people of God relate to the governmental authorities, the believers and their government, the believers and their government. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this word. Lord, you've told us specifically how we are to relate to the governmental authorities that are over us. And Lord, help us to learn today from your word how we as followers of the Lord Jesus, as people who have committed ourselves to you how we reflect you in this culture by the way we respond to the authority that you've placed above us. Help us to hear from you today, Holy Spirit. Please teach us what we need to know. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, it's important to remember this. Now, the government at the time of Jesus, was it, was it pro-Jesus? It was not pro-Jesus. Remember, it was Rome. 
And what did Rome want? All they wanted was peace, and they just want, they didn't want anything to do with any of this Jesus uprising that was going on. They weren't very pro-Christ followers at that time either. The government at the time of the apostles was not pro-apostles. As a matter of fact, most of them were killed for their faith. The apostle John had to be exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Domitian, the emperor at the time, tried to boil him in oil. They couldn't kill him, and they were frustrated and shipped him off to Patmos to get him out of the way, to get his voice out of the culture. That's what they did to him. Our time, the government is not pro-Jesus. You need to remember that. Now, America has changed. There was a time when it was more pro-Jesus than it is now. And it is becoming less and less pro-Jesus and more and more embracing of multiple ways to God when, in fact, Jesus said he is the only way, the truth, and the life. And Peter's time was particularly awful. Uh, Peter, and, Peter and Paul were both executed by the tyrant Nero. It wasn't until the 4th century, 300 years, that Christians were persecuted. 300 years they were chased and they were captured and they were killed and they were thrown into prisons. 300 years of persecution until Constantine established Christianity as an official legitimate religion and was protected by the government. Now, there's a, there's a question here. Since we are aliens and strangers here, since we really don't fit into this world system, how are we to relate to our government? Are, do we abstain from governmental uh, authority? Are we to say, no, I don't have anything to do with you because my kingdom's from a different world? Well, Peter makes this very clean, very clean and very clear, that we must submit to governmental authority. We must. And he starts this in verse 13 and 14, when it says, the believer's command to submit to government. Therefore, now why is it there? Because of the previous verses. Your priest, your chosen general generation, you are aliens and strangers here. You are to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. You are abstained from fleshly lusts. Therefore, because you are a Christ follower and done all these things, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Why? For the Lord's sake. Whether to the kings as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good for the good citizens protected by the government. That's what he's saying here. Then the first command here is to submit. Submit. We've heard this word multiple times in our teachings. It's hupotasso, and it means to arrange under authority. Arrange under authority. It's a military term used for the chain of command. It implies that you make a decisive choice to submit. Now, what submission is not? Hear this. What submission is not? It is not inequality. It is not someone is superior and someone is inferior. Remember, Jesus submitted to Father as our example. Believers are to submit to other believers. We see this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. We are to have mutual submission in the body of Christ, believer to believer. Wives are to submit to husband and children are to submit to their parents. Simply put, all believers are to submit to government authority. Now, that word authority, I'm just going to throw in here. It's not in the text, but there's the word exousia, and it means executive rule or executive authority. It's a legal right. And some examples of this authority that we see in Scripture, Satan claims to have authority to give Jesus the kingdoms on the earth, and Jesus did not debate with them when he was in the wilderness being tempted. Satan had the authority, the exousia, the executive authority to be able to do this. 
The Jewish people were amazed at how Jesus taught using his personal authority in Luke 4.32. In Luke 9.1, he gave his disciples authority to do the things that he did. In Luke 20, verses 2 through 8, it says, the central question of Jesus' authority is asked. In Luke 22, 53, evil has been given authority to condemn and kill Jesus. Who would be evil? The demonic realm and those under his Satan's control, which would be Pilate, the Jewish leaders, and all those people that contributed to Jesus' death. In Matthew, the Great Commission, all authority has, Jesus speaking, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. This is a marvelous statement of Jesus' authority. As a matter of fact, his authority was so profound that he broke into the kingdom of darkness. How did he do this? Healings, casting out demons, miracle after miracle after miracle. He invaded the fallenness of nature. You know how he did that? On the Sea of Galilee, in the storm where the disciples, the apostles, are in panic mode, and they're being bounced about on this ship, and Jesus is asleep in the back of the ship, and they, in a panic, wake him up, and Jesus says, you of little faith, and then he says to the storm, which these fishermen, people who were used to it, are in fear of their lives, and he says to the storm, peace be still. And you know, they were more afraid of the calm than they were afraid of the storm, because they're wondering, who is this guy? Who is this guy? He healed the multitudes. He, he, he knew what people were thinking. He even knew where to catch the fish. Throw the net over here, Peter. You're going to catch him there. Oh, really, Lord? Yes, Peter. You're going to catch him there. Yeah, he had authority while he was here. Why must Christians submit to governmental authority? And it's very clear. It's in verse 13. For the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Because we are representing him. He has a kingdom. He is in authority. We are under his authority. We are representing him here. It brings honor to God when we represent him rightly. Now, we are living in a land, and you are living exactly and precisely where God has determined for you. Whether you live in Korea, Japan, America, Russia, China, Iran, Iraq, you name it, you are there because this is where God has placed you. How do I know that? Acts 17, 26. God has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings for these nations so that man may grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. It's referring to nations and people groups, but I think it also applies to you as people. God has placed you where he wants you. He's placed you where he wants you. It's individual also. Now, Christ established the government we live in. We are to be subject to the government. Because of him, we are subject to it. But listen to this. Please do not miss this. This would be a wake-up point, okay? If at any time our earthly government passes a law that is contrary to the law of God, we must disobey it. This is because we have a higher law in God's word. Now, let me give you some examples of what we should do and should not do. Let me give you one example in particular. Abortion. Abortion. Tragically, America has legalized abortion. 55 million and on it goes. I don't even know where it's at at this point. 58 million, 60 million. The tragedy is beyond our ability to comprehend. The genocide of babies legalized in America. Molech is alive and well in America. 
abortion. Now listen, it is not our duty in this culture as Christ followers to bomb abortion clinics or to kill abortion doctors. That is something we are not to do. It is our duty to work in the framework of the government to abolish this practice and to convince others of the wrong of it, of the wrong of it. It's our duty to speak against and to protest against this carnage on unborn babies. And the goal is to, is to help people to see that this is indeed a human life made in the image of God, the imago Dei of God, the image of God that we are killing in the womb. Now remember, we've gone through this acronym SLED in the past. Size, level of development, environment, degree of dependency. That people are saying those are things that determine whether this is truly a life or not. That is not true. Because a baby is size is small does not mean they do not have life. When does life happen? It happens at conception. That's when it happens. In 20 days or 23 days, the heart is beating. Okay, this baby has life. At the moment of conception has life and very early is, is identifiable to anybody has life. The question is that you can ask this question. Now remember, we are very compassionate for ladies that have had abortion because they've been told that this is okay, that this is a bag of cells, and that sort of thing. This is not to condemn the, the women that, are, that have had these. This is a tragedy for them that they have to live with. But we want to convince the culture of something. And what we say to them is how will a civilized society deal with innocent human life that has been an inconvenience or a hardship? Does inconvenience and hardship justify homicide? Because this is premeditated murder. That's what it is. We must engage the culture with this. We must engage the culture. And now look at, listen to this. If in America, now we aren't to engage in a way that we are, like, again, bombing or killing doctors and that sort of thing, but if America passed a law that insisted that you had one child, like China, and you must abort and kill any other children after that, then we would have to stand up and say, no, we must obey God rather than man because they are enforcing this upon us. They are enforcing it upon us. And now in order for us to do this, look at this. The reason why we must obey God rather than man, knowing and obeying God's law is essential. Now let me emphasize this. Knowing his law and obeying his law is essential. Now, what has happened to God's law in the culture? It has been removed. It has been removed. It has been systemically removed from the culture. And this is a strategy promoted by the humanistic agenda to remove God's word from the culture. Now, when God's law is removed, anything goes. And what happens? Man does what was right in his own heart. Just at the last verse in Judges. There's nothing new under the sun. If you take God out... Enter in, anything goes according to the human's decision. According to the human's decision. Listen to what's happened. It starts in the indoctrination of schools. Prayer was removed from our schools in 1962. In 1963, the courts banned Bible reading, and in 1980, the courts removed the Ten Commandments for religious purposes. 
Abraham Lincoln made this statement, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation, in one generation. Now, in the 1960s, that was my era, okay? In 1962, I was probably in the fifth or sixth grade. Now, my generation now is ruling. Listen to what he says. The philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next. The kids grow up and become governmental leaders, and what has happened in our country? Abortion, gay marriage, legalization of, of, of drugs, marijuana in particular. It's my generation. My generation is culpable for this. The consequences of this, in 1964, beginning in 1964, for 18 years straight, the SAT scores plummeted in America. And then something happened. In the 1980s, Christian schools opened, giving in an alternative. And the higher scores in the Christian schools leveled out the plummeting scores of the public schools. An interesting thing. The consequences to our country are this, of removing God, are this. Equally catastrophic, the homicide rates are up and up and up. It has not gotten better as humanism has taken hold. It has not gotten better. Think about this. It, more people are gunned down in Chicago than Afghanistan. Last weekend was Memorial Day weekend. There were eight killed, 25 wounded on Memorial Day weekend in Chicago. That's, that's incredible. And that is the strictest gun laws in the nation. See, humanism doesn't work. Jesus does. The Ten Commandments work. The nuclear family is breaking apart at a culture-destroying rate. One out of every five adults in America has a lifelong incurable, incurable sexually transmitted disease. The sexual and physical abuse of children is out of control. And school shootings. Now, the argument is made that these have happened right from the 1700s on. And it's true. There's an isolated musket guy shoots somebody with a musket or something. But it is nothing like it is today. It's off the charts today where it's happening almost every day in your news. It's happening every day. President James Madison said this, We have staked the whole future, listen, the whole future of American civilization, not on the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. This is a president of the United States embracing the word of God, embracing the commandments of God, embracing the moral law to know right and wrong. We must submit to government for the Lord's sake. As his representatives, we are to be exemplary citizens. There should be no question that we should be the best citizens around. The best citizens around. We are to obey the government unless, unless, the government mandates that we disobey God, and then we cannot. The government has been established to bring order. The authorities have, have the power to enforce the law. We have police. We have the FBI. We have the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, that sort of thing. We might not like what the police do sometimes or some of these agencies, what they do, but these laws are passed, and in a free society, you can vote. You can vote. You have a voice. Get involved, vote. Have, you can vote to displace those who put those laws into place. We may not like how people treat us and conduct their affairs, 
but we are accountable to them. Now listen to this. Listen to what, give you some examples. Now Jesus and Paul and Peter are going to be some examples for you. Jesus showed respect for human government. He paid a temple tax, which was also a religious and civil tax. He advocated for the Roman tax to be paid. Remember, he says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, as unto God what is God's. He didn't say abstain or, 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 or get, don't do anything for Caesar or don't pay your taxes. He encouraged it. It was the proper thing to do because God is a God of order, and God has established government for a purpose. Paul says this in Romans 13, 1 through 5. Summary, he says, believers must submit to civil authorities for they are established by God. Romans 13, 6 and 7 says, believers must pay taxes and honor civil authorities. That must be our posture. 1 Timothy 2, 1, believers must pray for civil authorities. And in Titus 3, 1, believers must be subject to civil authorities. We are to be exemplary citizens. And here Peter, Peter says in our text today, Believers must submit to civil authorities for the good of society. But Peter also said in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 when he was imprisoned and they insisted that he stop speaking in the name of Jesus, he said it is, we must obey God rather than men. Believers must submit to civil authorities unless the government mandates that we disobey God. Now, does everyone have that one down? We got it. Okay, we got it. Verse 15. The believer's behavior will silence the critics of Christ, for this is the will of God. Now, when you hear that, this is the will of God, you want to know what God's will is? That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Now, when he says doing good, that's in relationship to the government. That's in relation to submitting to the authorities that are in charge. Notice it's God's will that we do good, that we're good citizens, and silence the, the ignorant talk of foolish men. And that word silence is this. To close the mouth with a muzzle. Muzzle them. Don't allow them any ammunition to be able to speak negatively against you, a Christian. Why? Because you represent the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. Chuck Swindoll says this, Loose-jawed rumors about Christians gossip their way through the Roman Empire, about their secret meetings, their subversive ideologies, their loyalty to another kingdom. Their plans to infiltrate and indoctrinate and lead an insurrection. No such thing. To quell these rumors, Peter encouraged submission to the powers that be. Now, please hear this. No Christian, no Christian is here to take over the kingdoms of this world, to rule here and now in this world. That's coming, folks. That's coming. It is not here and now. We're not of this world system. Remember in 1 Peter 2.11, we are aliens and strangers here, pilgrims and sojourners here. We are simply passing through. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13 through 16, we see in this men of faith chapter, men and women of faith chapter, these words, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them from afar, were assured of them, embraced them, confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. These people died for their faith. They're strangers and pilgrims here on earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Not here. We seek a homeland. We seek a place. 
And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they would have had opportunity to return. But oh, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Isn't that great? God is not ashamed to be called our God. For he has prepared a city for them. And it's not here. I mean, one of these days, the new Jerusalem will come down. There'll be a new world and all that stuff. We're not talking about that, but we're not here to take over this world system. The new apostolic reformation has made this their goal. They have, a, they have an errant eschatology. They believe that we're going to usher in the kingdom. We're going to bring the kingdom of God in. So we have a seven-mountain mandate. We're going to take over government, education, media, arts, and so on. We're just going to take this thing over, and we're going to bring Jesus Christ back. Well, I'm telling you, it's going to get worse as it was in the days of Noah. Do you believe Jesus, or do you believe Mike Bickle? I believe Jesus, okay? I believe it's going to get worse. I don't think it's going to get better. Yeah, we're not ushering in the kingdom. They've established this new thing. God's doing a new thing by raising up apostles like Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and prophets like the Old Testament prophets with authority and power that they've taken on themselves to rule over the congregations. That's inappropriate. That's not the word of God. That is not the word of God. Now look at our job in this milieu of misinformation is to tell all, tell everyone that a righteous king and a righteous kingdom is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. And Jesus Christ will reign on this earth. And that will be a just kingdom. And in order to be part of that kingdom, in order to, be, to live with him forever and not be separated in what we colloquially called hell, or what the Bible actually calls the lake of fire, is the ultimate destination of those who reject Jesus Christ, horrific, need not be. You need to believe and receive the gift of life that God offers to all humanity. He offers it. He says, here, believe in my son. Receive the gift of salvation. It is a free gift. Anytime, anytime else, if they give you a free McDonald's coupon, you're lining up in line and grabbing it and going, oh, it's free. I can get a burger, I can get a burger for this. But salvation? Eternity? Uh, uh, I don't think I want that right now. I think I'll choose that at my... No. God chooses. He chooses when someone is saved. He opens the eyes. He softens the heart. It's not the human. It is God. It is God. Believers do have a five-fold mandate. Believers do have a five-fold mandate that is quite different than the New Apostolic Reformation seven-fold mandate. Let's read it. As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Let that sink in. Bondservants of God. That's a doulos. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. That is our mandate. That is our mandate. We are, first of all, to live as free men. Now, this means free in contrast to those who are enslaved by sin. Remember that when you were saved, you were set free from sin. You were set free. Jesus has freed every believer from the mastery of sin. Every believer from the mastery of sin. Here what it says in Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man, our old nature, who we were pre-Christ, was crucified. He was crucified. When we came to know Jesus Christ, that old guy is dead. 
He is dead. The body of sin might be done away with, kategero, to cease completely, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. But not only that, in verse 12, he says this, therefore, do not, that is a command, that is an imperative in the Greek, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not present the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, Christian. That is what we are called to do. Do not let it happen. You have the Spirit of God. What power do you have? Karatos power. The power to say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit, and every single Christian has it. You must use what you have. You must use what you have. Now, those free from the mastery of sin... That's all Christians, not just the super-duper ones, not just the almighty ones. It's, a, it's all Christians have a five-fold mandate. Mandate number one, do not, does that sound like a command? Do not use your liberty, your freedom as a cloak for vice, a cover for sin, an excuse for sin. Now, there's a dangerous, faulty thinking that has permeated Christianity. I am saved now I can sin. Now, isn't that just the most astounding thing that you can... This is called hyper-grace. This is called hyper-grace. I'm forgiven, past, present, and future. I'm covered. Now I'm okay. I can just engage in whatever I want. This is Gnosticism, folks. This is, calm. This is, this is our world's Gnosticism, which is the flesh is nothing and the spirit is everything, so I can do whatever I want with my flesh. That is wrong. That is wrong. This is not how a bond servant thinks. This is not how an ambassador thinks. This is not how a follower of Jesus Christ thinks. Oh, no. Oh, no. Remember, a bond servant, a doulos, is this. The servant's will is consumed with the will of his master. You know what that means? That means my will as a believer is consumed with the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not my whim. It is not up to me to determine what I'm going to do. He, he orchestrates us. He tells me. Paul ran into this. In Romans chapter 6, he says this. He's running into these people and saying, I'm saved. Now I can do what I want. Now what kind of salvation is that? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He's talking about hyper grace here. Certainly not, exclamation point, boop, exclamation point, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it. That's the Word of God. That's the Spirit's teaching to us. How we live any longer in it. Oh no, that is faulty teaching. Mandate number one, don't let your liberty, your freedom, be an excuse to sin. Mandate number two, honor all people, even those in charge of you, even the politicians, even your boss. Isn't that something? Even the police, even the annoying people in your life that are in charge of you. But it's not just them. We are to honor all people. And it reminds me of the homeless person with a sign. And you go by them, and you go, and the first thing that enters your mind, or enters my mind, is how did they get there? What did they do? And it, it matters what they've done with their lives. But I must change the paradigm in the way that I think and looking them at them as they are the image of God. 
The same thing that Billy Graham is the image of God. And they have value and meaning and purpose and worth because they have been created in the image of their creator. And instead of being critical, maybe we should pray. God, please help that person. Something like that. That's how it struck me anyway. Mandate number three, we're to love the brotherhood. This is talking about church people. And by the way, that's not always so easy. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Church people can be annoying, and it's easy to avoid them. We are to love them, not hide from them. We're to be subject to one another. And then number four is the fear of God. Let Solomon just explain this for you. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. And this is, remember, Solomon has experienced everything in life. He's had all the alcohol he can take. He's had all the women, all the concubines he can have. He's had all the gold. He's had all the stuff that the world has to, has to offer a human being. Everything. He's indulged himself with everything. At the end of his life, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, he finally comes full circle and he says here this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. Fear God. Remember Yahweh, awesome respect for God. Obey his commands. This is man's all. This is your purpose, to honor the king, honor our, our God. And finally, mandate number five, indeed, is honor the king. And even, listen to this, even if the king in charge is Nero, they were submitting to him. Peter wants people to submit to him. Even if it is an emperor or a Caesar, like at the time of Jesus, even if the king is Obama, and even if the king is Donald Trump, we are to honor the king. We are to honor the governors. We are to respect their position. Never forget this, that God raises up kings and God brings kings down. And it gives people, if you do a study in Scripture, the people end up getting the king that they deserve. Samuel really brings that out. I can't develop that now. Psalm 75, 6 and 7 says this, For exaltation comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one, and he exalts another. The world, our family, our friends, our co-workers will see that we truly are the people of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, when we really are acting as Christ ambassadors. We're really representative. When we do these things, we really will be Christ ambassadors representing him. Just a summary statement of this whole thing about government. Just a summary statement. Human government in a fallen world is ordained by God, unquestionably. It is divine right of government to rule in order to establish order out of chaos. Number two, it's a religious duty for believers to obey and pray for civil authority. It is proper, number three, for believers to support human government by paying your taxes with a reverent attitude. Ugh. I don't know how you do with that one, but... Pay your taxes. Human government is for the purpose of civil order. They are God's servants for the task. We should encourage believers, hear this, in a democratic system to, to actively participate in the process of government and implement, whenever possible, the teachings of Scripture. Vote. Vote. That is a responsibility that we have as good citizens. Vote. And finally, social change must precede individual conversion. Social change must be preceded by individual conversion. There is no lasting eternal hope in government. 
All governments are flawed. All governments are led by flawed people. Hear John in 1 John, what he says about this. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, John very specifically says this, Do not love the world. Now, does he mean the trees and the flowers and the mountains? No, he's talking about the world system. Do not love the world system, I'll add, or anything in, that, in, in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. If you're in love with this place, this system of government, this system, the way things that are done here, it says here, the love of the Father is not in you for everything in the world. Now watch what the world promotes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That's what the world promotes. comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Let me say it again. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. What's God's will for all humanity? To be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, and you will live forever with the king. Okay? Believers in government. All believers have a responsibility to their government to be model citizens. We must realize that Jesus and his kingdom kingdom are mankind's only hope, not human government. The believer's hope is this, is a future government, government ruled over by King Jesus. A future government ruled over by King Jesus. Here Isaiah chapter 9, 6, and 7. This is a Christmas verse, but this is a kingdom verse, first and foremost. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Oh, that's Messiah. Messiah they're talking about, Jesus. And his name shall be called, watch this, Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. When Jesus reigns, no more kingdoms. Remember, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, we have six so far. We are under the Roman government rule right now. It was split east into west. There is a ten-nation confederation that will be coming. Somehow, someway, this world will be split up into ten nations. That will be Antichrist rule for a very short time. And then the king will come, and he will establish his kingdom. There is a kingdom coming, folks. There is a kingdom coming. We have a responsibility why we are here today to be kingdom representatives. The believer in government now and in the future. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time to study your word. Holy Spirit, you've given us this to help us to be model citizens. You've given us to help us to represent the Lord Jesus rightly while we're here. And may we do that, Lord. May everything that we do bring glory and honor to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, right now, today, I ask that if anybody here does not know you as their Savior, that this would be the best day of their life when they say yes to you, Lord Jesus. Yes to you dying in their place. Yes to you taking all of their sins upon them. Everyone, every sin. And they're cast as far as the east is from the west. Oh, Lord, that they would believe and receive the gift of salvation. May that happen right now in some person's heart. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that you have taken my sin debt and I receive you as my Savior. You do that, you're born again of the Spirit, and then live forever for him. Thank you again for this time to study your word. 
Lord, as we go into the communion service, may our hearts be fully softened and connected to you. May we hear your voice speak to us about the shed blood and the broken body of our Savior and what that means to us. Thank you again for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.